0: How am I gonna convince these people to carry out research with people who aren't there yet, off someone who (laughs) is 21, has a really shit haircut, and is telling me how to do market research? Like, it was so unfathomable.
1: This is the Come Here To Me podcast. My name is Guy Boggan. Amongst many things, I am a photographer and filmmaker. I started a podcast to chat to friends and fascinating people, not necessarily about them, instead about their experience in an industry or business, their topic of expertise, even a skill or talent they may have. These impressive individuals are not claiming to be experts in their fields or the very best at what they do. I just wanna offer you an insight into what they've learned so far. Just a little of something interesting. This is the Come Here To Me podcast. Enjoy. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to chat to you about something a bit different because for the last few months we've been working on Tribe and I've been honored to get involved with Tribe with you. And I think that's where most people, particularly in people who've listened to you come on podcasts have spoken about, but I want to completely shift that and focus on all, all the rest of what you're doing. So Charlie, tell everyone a little bit who you, a little bit about who you are, what you're studying and what you're doing at the moment. So my
0: name is Charlie Butler, I am a final year business student in Trinity um, and what I spend most of my time doing is on two separate projects so the first one is what you're a part of now which is called Tribe. It's a mental health charity or a charity arm that uh, has worked with Peter House and Jigsaw and it was effectively our community-based effort at raising as much money and awareness for mental health um, and I've talked quite a lot about that before but What I probably spend most of my time doing, um, behind the shadows I try, but what I spend a lot of my time doing is on a company called Bounce Insights. It's a startup that myself and four others have been working on since last January. Um, And we started it while we were in college. Um, We've had a pretty kind of up and down journey over the last 14 months, but it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, It is a digital market research company. So it's a consumer insights platform. Um, In layman terms, effectively what we do is provide a direct link for brands and agencies to 18 to 35 year olds for feedback, for insight, for whatever sort of data or information they may want to gather from that cohort. And the reason I suppose we work is that we're a really hard cohort to engage. So That age group that age yeah. group in, sp- in particular and then even just the industry is quite old so I suppose that's what I spend most of my time doing and um, I have about two and a half months left of college so I'm doing my thesis and I'm doing kind of five or six different modules in Trinity and I love my time in Trinity but a lot of my time I do spend on bounce our offices
1: are right beside Trinity I so I suppose studying business that kind of goes hand in hand in some way like yeah you have to knock off all the pr- like it's very separate but the skill set's the same at least you're going the same way
0: yeah people people always say like oh like how how great is it you're doing business and then setting up your own business it's quite interesting it's very different in terms of and again i i'm very careful not to say any bad things about my degree because i loved my degree i learned so much but it's kind of a different style of learning i think the best thing you get out of a college degree is like a way of thinking a way of analyzing and definitely a way of i don't know looking at certain business situations so that way was great but like i've done loads of finance and tax modules but yet when we had to send our first invoice to a client i had no idea how to do it so in terms of how much it's helped me it's a lot of the intangibles helped me a lot but the actual kind of material that i learned in college i'm unsure how much i'm applying i'm sure i am without even knowing so that's why i kind of describe it as the intangible benefits i've learned in my four Mm -hmm. years
1: yeah that's interesting actually because people always do say that in businesses like you just you learn by doing you learn by failing you learn by so it's funny that you are a person who's both being an entrepreneur yourself, but then also studying business. And even right now, you don't see the no, correlation. Like I'm, doing, at all. I'm
0: doing my thesis on um, strategy. I'm doing a marketing module. I'm doing finance and doing all these sort of things. But there's never really an overlap. So like when it comes to like when I manage my time, it's not like they blend at all. Yeah, They're yeah. completely different, especially because my skill sets that within bounds. Are very much sales orientated very much kind of on the learning side the marketing side and not into the finance that's what brian would be quite good at so was know, everyone in bounce involved from the start
1: the whole um, five
0: or we were yeah we've quite an interesting journey with how bounce kind of came about so i suppose i'll go back to kind of october november of 20 20- 18 2018 yeah so i was in third year in in college and myself and brian and um, i'll probably refer to brian quite a lot throughout this podcast we do a lot of things together always uh, we, we've set up tribes together and we've done bounce together so if i ever mention brian this is brian amani brian amani partner, partner in crime partner i <laughs> pretty much do everything with we even have a rule not to see each other on sundays because we we just spend a stupid amount of time together so sorry if i keep mentioning him We were both supposed to go on Erasmus in separate places when I was in third year in college. uh, I was supposed to go to Boston um, and Brian was supposed to go to Emory, which was in Atlanta. And we were working on two different companies. Well, not companies, they were ideas. Like, everyone has ideas. I was working on a logistics platform for an experiential marketing company that I basically saw the way that they were doing things and I was like, oh, this is really bad. I think we should do it this way, the classic kind of way that anyone comes up with an idea and I recruited like computer scientists to help me on that and then Brian was working on a digital loyalty platform um, for like mobile loyalty and we were both working on those things and then I went out and I pitched to my dad and a few of his like business friends and we got ripped apart like they were just like this is a really really awful idea yeah and it was it it was hilarious because like I've never been so disheartened after that meeting and I our big thing was that we, for some reason, were so adamant that we wanted to set up our own company that we just wanted any idea. We were like, we just need to set up this company. And weirdly, the reason we were so adamant to set up our own company was because we wanted to justify not going on Erasmus. In and a to weird, have something to do. To have something that was like, no, the reason we can't go on Erasmus is because we've set up this company. And anyone who knows Brian and I is like, we're kind of perfectionists And we're very like, once we have our mindset on something, we don't really... S- shift from it. So once I decided oh it's it's unlikely I'm going to go on my Erasmus because I'm doing this company when that idea got shot down, me and Brian went through this really kind of strange period of like 6 weeks where we needed to come up with another idea. Um our relationship was the most strained it's ever been in that like 6 week period, but eventually
1: we kind of amalgamated these two different ideas that I, I was working say, on. So that was the first idea in any way along the lines of what bounce is now. Nothing. Nothing
0: uh, at all. Uh, nothing. Brian might argue that it, one of the parts was because at the start we were going to incorporate loyalty into bounce, um, but I would argue not at all. Okay. Um, but the, where the initial idea came from was on the back of something that Brian was working on with the NFL Loyalty. And back to your question about how the team came together was. Josh, who was one of the uh, software engineers at Bounce and co-founders, was working with Brian on that loyalty company. And then he recruited Ronan, who's now our CTO, um, purely based on, they were both doing computer science in Trinity. Josh threw it into his WhatsApp group saying, hey, there's this guy called Brian doing a, a company, anyone interested. And Ronan, who was in final year in computer science, working like 20 hours a day, decides it's a great idea to meet up with us and go, yeah, I'll work on that. <laughs> like just completely ludicrous how we managed to meet up with Ronan and uh, Josh. And then interestingly, Brandon was working on the company that I was working on earlier with called Shifter. It was the logistics platform. He was working on that with me. And then Brandon ended up coming on later on, uh, but only two or three months after. So like in like uh, February or March time. Yeah. So the, we're, it came from two different companies. And then we all kind of came together to work on this purely because, again, it was potential. Um, so to follow on from, once the team came together, we had this like six week period where me and Brian eventually dropped our Erasmuses, which was a completely irrational decision and probably was one of the reasons why we worked so hard in the six weeks That's following that. That's a huge that.
1: decision, yeah.
0: I'd really like, it was really tough on our families because they had kind of really wanted us to go on Erasmus. They couldn't see why we wouldn't there's turn nothing, down. And there is nothing tangible yet, apart from your idea. Nothing, yeah. it was a really average yeah. idea. But me and Brian had been set on setting up a company and it is so irrational to think back on, uh, on why we pursued it. But because we had given up the Erasmus as if we needed any more motivation. But that six week period following it was probably the hardest any of us have worked to date. And The reason I described it as a six week period is we knew there was this Dragon's Den competition. I think it was February 6th or 7th. And we knew that there was this LaunchBox program, which was an accelerator to accelerate your company. And the applications for that were the end of February. And we were basically like, we need to turn this really average idea into a tangible company. The presentation. That we can pr- pitch yeah. and not only pitch, but w- like win and get into this accelerator program. So we were basically like,
1: in this six weeks, we needed to completely transform an average idea were into the a o- Were the other boys involved when the ad- when the idea came about at the start? Between you- or was it you and Brian and then you kind of recruited the... Other three it, around us
0: we recruited the other three around us um, and yeah. basically what happened was is we we set ourselves the deadline and it was like the 10th of december to make our decision on our erasmus and what brian did was he effectively locked himself in his room for like a week and he put his head together and like i give brian immense credit for this this was basically like i was working on one idea which was okay he was working on another idea that was okay and after like fully a week of brian just not taking like i'm no for an answer came out with this what we called at the time this sexy triangle and it was basically this (laughs) again kind of cringy it was this triangle of value that we thought we had created within bounce and it's similar enough to what we do today which i'll go into later but effectively was that like
1: a win-win-win
0: it was a win-win-win i think i talked to you about this before where it was basically like if a brand got their feedback from a person and then we rewarded that person into a shop where they could spend that reward, then everyone won. The retailers got more sales, the person got money which they could buy something with, and then the brand got their feedback. feedback yeah. In a very it was again it was this triangle of value that we thought was amazing. And you it. knew that would that was see it through that was what was gonna work. That was yeah that was Brian's Eureka moment. And not really at all, but when you're so desperate to get an idea, that was effectively ours. And
1: within the roles and the team I know you mentioned that you had kind of a sales role. What was Brian's role? Obviously, the other three all came from background in computer science, so they were surely building the product.
0: Yeah. So the roles roles naturally came about, and anyone who does a startup will realize that everyone does everything. What's unique about our team is that we're incredibly large. It's rare that you'll get five people, mainly because of dedication issues and kind of like working for nothing, doing it on top of college kind of backing an idea. There's, it's very rare that you'll get that many people all joining together for the same mission. Um, but the roles within our team naturally came about in terms of Brian is, Brian's CEO, Brian does everything, and that's kind of what a CEO does. The person you want in that role is the person who can tell everyone what to do and no one will ever really get annoyed at him. Mm-hmm. You, you know Brian, Brian's very level-headed. He's very objective in his thinking, and um, incredibly rational. And like almost like science-backed i'm not and that kind of works <laughs> yeah. even the stuff with tribe any anything we do i'm very kind of like wild ideas i'll you know like back something i'll go for it i'll very much personal relationship based so sales marketing that sort of stuff like I very much kind of go on my hunch, whereas Brian's very kind of like to the point. Calculated. Calculated. Everything's done like that. And you need someone like that. we so works out is so, a really good balance between the yeah, two. Yeah. So in terms of the positions, they naturally fell out like that. And like Brian does the stuff that no one will do. Like it's incredible. Like stuff like financials. He just like taught himself accounting off the back. Mm-hmm. Those sort of things. He just teaches himself all these things. And it, 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 he's the gel that keeps the, the team together, um, which is so important. And then on the tech side of things, the three guys are just animals. Like, I've, ne- I've never met anyone like them. Uh, any meeting I go into, I'm just like, these are the brains like behind the whole thing. Brandon, Josh, and Ronan. Um, and then within that, Ronan just took a natural leadership role. He was the oldest, but I don't think it had anything really to do with that. He always was eager to join me in every sales meeting I went to so he could learn about the business side of things. Because when he was building the product, similar with Brian doing everything, Ronan wasn't just the guy building the tech with Brandon and Josh. He was also the product manager. He was the data scientist. He was the, you know, the head design and graphic
1: design. You end up doing everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the interesting thing within roles. So just, uh, I don't know if everyone would be aware of what Bounce is or how it works. So it's a mobile app is your main platform at the moment. How does it work like physically? How does it work? Uh, So Bounce has, um, think of Bounce as having kind of two arms.
0: So what you talked about there is the user side and what we, tried to build was a bit ridiculous because we how much we needed to fulfill our core transaction was pretty insane. So we needed a mobile app on Android and iOS so that we could get the feedback from people. And then we needed a dashboard on the client side, which was a survey creator, targeting criteria, data analytics, and quality screening. So we had these two one yeah. one was a consumer-facing thing, and one was a client-facing thing. So what you were talking about there, what Bounce is, as I said, was it's a market research platform. Effectively, we're not market researchers. We're effectively an enabling tool. So on the user side, we are an app. So we're on the App Store. It's Bounce Insights. Um, we have about eight, oh, just over eight thousand users on the app now, and effectively what the app is for, is that people get rewarded for giving their feedback to brands, to agencies, to PR firms, to student unions, to whatever it is. Anyone who wants to ask our panel something we usually allow, as any startup would do. And how that app works is you will have the app, um, what we call bundles rather than surveys, um, just a, a change of wording, because yep. people hate the word surveys. People who have our app will do these bundles of questions, they will get reward points, and they can buy a coffee in their local coffee shop, they can top up their Leap card, they can pay for a Spotify voucher or whatever it is, we reward people on the app side. And that's probably, anyone who might've heard about it is is on that side. It's in a really early stage. Like the app looks nice, but it's still very early stage and we've kind of just come through our beta process, which was about a six month trial period where yeah. we tried to understand our metrics. You know, how many responses could we get? What were the engagement rates like? How often were people clicking into the app? How often were people redeeming rewards? What was our organic growth like? We're a startup, we have no money. So we've spent no money on marketing and we've just allowed that it's to insane grow. is that
1: you've got 8,000 people in from, have, from having not spent anything on marketing?
0: Yeah, that was, uh, that was, again, just knocking heads together on how we got people on. So last July, when we were building out the app and the product and everything, our goal for September was to pay 50 of our friends to come on to a sample version of the app to do surveys. In September, we had over 3,000 people actually just downloading the app and using it. And how we did that was a really funny story. I'm not sure if I told you this no. before. In the middle of July, we were at a really hard points whereby we were building the tech, but we had absolutely no way of testing it. And I had a conversation with one of the heads of the Entrepreneurial Society in Trinity called Callum. Um, we were in an accelerator program within Trinity. So that's how we I ended up chatting to him. And he was saying to me that the way that they onboarded members, so new members to their society, was by using a paper and pen or a Google form. And then they would give them a physical membership card. And there was issues around GDPR and there was issues around waste because a lot of those physical membership cards and like vouchers were just thrown in the bin. And people lose them. And people yeah. lose them. And there was an issue there. And I kind of just had the brainwave and I went back to Ronan and I said, well, what do, they, what do they ask new members? They ask name, student number, email. It's effectively like filling out a survey in a very simple sense. And we were already providing rewards. So I was saying, well, why, why don't we just put the reward as the membership card? So we built a workaround so that any society could onboard a new member through the bounce app. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the idea, and it took a lot of pulling arms of friends within societies and meetings. I yeah. met over 50 heads yeah. of societies, and I just said, Please, like, give us a chance. It will work. How many came
1: through? Was it just a handful we ended up or partnering
0: or? with 58 societies societies wow. and sports clubs. And was this just
1: in within Trinity. Trinity? Just and, Trinity or and in DCU as well? As and well. DCU, okay.
0: DCU came later. Uh, and that luckily was two weeks after Trinity so we could kind of learn but what I realised from that was is that would give us our first like 500 people and that's what you to, start to start pushing surveys that was just all we needed we proving. could have started with 50 people yeah. but we kind of pounced on an amazing opportunity with Freshers Week anyone who knows what Freshers Week is like in any college it's crazy um, and the best thing about us is we weren't selling our app people were getting people to download our app for us because the societies had effectively partnered with us. There was a win-win there whereby- And the people who got the app won by getting rewarded. Yeah, yeah, so they got there. Everything was done through the app. The best thing about Freshers is that they don't know any different. So the, <laughs> the, mem- the societies told them, this is the way you do it. So they just said, okay, I need to download this app. Yeah. And the societies were amazing. They got us our first like 1,000 people onto the app. Uh, we provided the service to them. It was tricky because getting people to download an app was hard, but, and we had some fight back from people within Trinity and stuff, but it, it worked out really well in the end. And what that did was gave us a base to start testing our, our hypothesis, which was, from the outset, these people had never given their feedback to any brands before, and we believed that if we reached them properly through a mobile app, we rewarded them properly through rewards that they cared about, i.e. coffee, that we could get them to give feedback to anyone at any time and we could get, do that better than any other alternative. And yeah. that was a very simple hypothesis we wanted to test, but by onboarding those first thousand people, it gave us a perfect platform to try that out.
1: And I suppose that that solved because I was going to, while we're focusing on the consumer side, I was going to talk to you about what I thought was kind of the chicken and egg scenario because in this environment where you have a win-win-win, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, a, a new taxi app Coming to a city It's like Nobody's going to use the app If there's no drivers No drivers are going to use the app If there's no clients So like mm. ha, what What was it first like When it, Obviously the you've now explained that you got people on through college societies, but yeah. was there ever like, how are we going to get people to join and brands to pay at the exact same time? Like how is there going to be rewards when they come and vice versa? Guy,
0: I, I think you've just explained what keeps all five of us up at night. It's, <laughs> it's, the, like, it's like the economics of any platform. Yeah. It's supply and demand. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we it's particularly hard though in a win-win. It's, it's particularly yeah. hard genuinely in any platform. The difference between our platform and a lot of these other platforms is we had fuck all money. Yeah. Zero. But see that's Euro. the thing i think so it, like,
1: in other businesses where it's a business selling a product the problem is like holding stock and money and starting the ma- manufacturing process through mm-hmm. kickstarter but the end, at the end of the day it's like you and you've got one other side to fulfill which is the customer but yeah. in this it's like you're more of a link between two already established things the consumer and the exactly
0: brand. we're a link so you can imagine what yeah. my sales pitch was like when i met brands and i said would you like to run a survey and they said brilliant what, how many users do you have and i said i've zero but in three weeks I'm going to have a thousand, yeah. I had to future sell with all these brands. So basically what I thought was, okay, I had to one, make the assumption that, okay, we're going to onboard a few thousand people in a space of a few weeks, which for anyone who has an app or has built an app isn't like so hard. So then I was like, okay, I had to go on that assumption. And then I had to not only that, but go to all the brands that might have an interest in those, that cohort of people and then decide, okay, how am I going to convince these people to carry out research? with people who aren't there yet, off someone who is 21, has a really shit haircut, and is telling me how to do market research. Like, it was so unfathomable that it it almost was, it was like funny, like I
1: was going into meetings and I was like, oh, how am I gonna pull this off? obviously, like you're you're a good talker, you're presented well, and you did have something going for you, but like, were you laughed out of rooms? Like how many, were you surprised at the take up? How did it go? over those few weeks. Oh, Did God, you get As, as you rewards? can imagine with anything, it's like yeah.
0: the 10,000 hour rule of talking shite. And, and I, I don't want to say talking shite. I was really well-hearsed on this. I, I was. I knew everything about the industry. That entire nine months while the guys were building the tech, I learned every single thing about the industry. About the market research I became a industry. complete expert in it. And again, I'm sorry, I, in my own right, in terms of from what I could possibly know, I'm not an expert in the industry. I try and learn as much as I can. But one of the best pieces of advice I got was from Devin Hughes. He's a founder of Buy Me, a grocery delivery platform, and a really good advisor for us. But people always ask about age. Like, is age a restrictor? As you said, or was I laughed out of rooms? If you carry yourself well, if you're really well rehearsed on the industry and you know your stuff, no one's gonna laugh you out of a room. So when I was going into these rooms, I had understood how they carried out research almost better than they knew they had carried out mm-hmm. research. A lot of brands don't carry out the research themselves. And our initial sales strategy was to go direct to the brand, which we've now altered a bit. But in the outset, I was going to brands and saying, you currently pay 10 grand for this. I can do it for a grand five times faster. Yeah. And I, was, I understood the metrics behind it. So even though I didn't have the panel,
1: I had all the other tools I needed for them to take me seriously. You knew what they were already paying. You knew how their their systems already exactly. were in place. So you came with them with an exact solution to what they had rather exactly. than... Exactly. I came dark.
0: in, I empathised with their problem. If mm-hmm. you just look at like Sales 101 and this wasn't any book, like I, I've read a lot of books on it, but it's not any book I read. It's basically just how... If I was sitting in their seat, how would I want someone to come in? And it's like, okay, you empathize with your problem. You let them tell you what the problem is. So I would go into them and say like, how do you currently carry it out? They told me the speed. They told me how much they pay. They told me I would really hard ac- trying to get access of university students. So I, I, they were telling me the problem. So every meeting I had,
1: I learned more for the next meeting mm-hmm. because they all have the same problem. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you know exactly. That sort of thing? So from the the consumer side as well, still the rewards are kind of another thing. Like some of the rewards might be with the brands you're working with, but probably for the most part they won't be. They're like another company you have to talk to or another institution <laughs> or college group. So obviously, okay, you don't have to comment on this, but obviously, like the rewards aren't cash based for a reason because, uh, like, you can get bulk discounts on a product and. You know, if they're not cash-based, not every single one will be taken up on and that just like allows you to keep your margins tight and whatever. Mm-hmm. But from a technical perspective, when it's like you give people rewards in an app, how do they uh, claim that in like a shop, in a coffee shop? Do you have to build another system for all of these places that you want to reward your consumers? Yeah. So
0: if we thought a two-sided platform was hard enough, we decided to throw in a third stakeholder yeah. to make it just even more interesting for us. Uh, that third stakeholder, as you said, is the reward partner. Yeah. Um, the sale to them is really easy because effectively what we say is, look, we have a thousand people on our platform. We just want to drive people to your store or your coffee shop or whether it's online or offline. And all we say to them is we don't charge them anything to be on the platform. All we want to do is sell things. And as you said products you can get a better price to bulk buy and i can talk about the psychology of redemption of rewards after in terms of why we chose certain Mm -hmm. things and what price points but in terms of the reward partners themselves our initial again i I sorry to pull this back but back in january our initial pitch in the dragon's den competition was we were going to build our own piece of hardware that we would put in stores that people could tap their phone off using NFC. It's a technology yeah. within your phone, like you use Apple Pay with. Mm-hmm. And we thought we could put a card in your Apple wallet and you could pay using bounce points, on, using NFC yeah. loyalty, and we put a tiny piece of hardware in every shop. Amon Quinn uh, from Super Quinn, an investor uh, of Y Receipts and a lot of other companies, was one of the judges in Dragon's Den. He, we ended up coming second in that competition. Um, and what I would advise anyone to do, if anyone who gives you any sort of advice or has the potential to give you advice, follow up with them. We followed up with Eamon Quinn. We, he gave us an hour and a half of his time. Just incredible. Like He's yeah. such a busy man. Hour and a half of his time. He said, for the love of God, lads, get rid of hardware. Don't go into hardware. And he yeah. told us to go down and meet Mark Cummins, who recently he, he, sold Pointy. I was going to say, he was in uh, hardware, yeah. He was in hardware, and he goes, you know what you do, Lance? doesn't
1: know, quickly, Mark Cummins sold his, co- his company, Pointy, to Google for like $164 100, million. Yeah, something nuts. Like, this guy yeah. is one of the most successful recent Irish entrepreneurs. Yeah, anyway, and
0: Eamon said, you're not going to do hardware, and I'm going to tell you why you're not going to do hardware. And he told us to go down and meet Mark, and Mark took us in. And despite uh, Mark was incredibly successful and they had put so much work into it, Mark basically said to us, he was like, guys, this is why you're not gonna do hardware. And he just like showed us his workshop and took us through all just the impossible things to do with hardware. And he was like, there are smarter people to building the tech who have a lot more time, a lot more money who are gonna build it for you. So just don't do it. And that brings me back to the point is when we were then looking at partnering with shops in the september of that year and we got rid of the idea of hardware we were like how can we make it as easy as possible for these retailers yeah. so a person who was a part-time job in a coffee shop how can we make it so that we do not slow down the customer journey that it is like that a monkey could do it and we just from talking to retailers we just said just put a button in your tail and invoice us every month and what we'll do is we'll do a dual verification so i go up to the co- the counter and I say, oh, I have a free coffee on Bounce, I show them on our app, all it is is a button that the cashier presses, and it will give a time. Which stamp, locks the reward on the app. Which yeah. lo- like, uses the reward on yeah. the app, and then all the retailer does is press a button in their till, and at the end of each month, yeah. they invoice us for the amount of products claimed. Also, hardware is probably,
1: like, maybe at the, like, hardware is the dream when you get to that stage like people always say like that's what apple have they have the, they have the software and the hardware and the hardware so they control the whole thing same with microsoft but if you had got into hardware at the start you would have bitten off way more than you yeah, could because it, you're trying over- to build two completely separate products 100 especially given that in this day of integrations i'm sure you'll be able to bite back up the supply chain because all those brands like clover and mm. like all those point of sale machines that are becoming so digital will eventually probably work with your app Anyone yeah. who has
0: built a startup will be hit with the dilemma of focusing on your core transaction. Mm-hmm. The, you need to like not let yourself get like shiny foil syndrome and focus on what we do. So when we were thinking of building the hardware, that's exactly what that was. We were a consumer insight company. Our job was to get feedback and insight from people. So why the hell were we building a piece of hardware for coffee shops? So if you, like, it, it sounds funny in hindsight, like hindsight is twenty twenty. but when that was the piece of insight that we had learned, we were like, oh, that's what we were doing. Yeah. And now when we're making strategic business decisions, we say, or like, is that our core transaction? Because you'll go into so many meetings where, especially when you're a startup and they'll say, oh, can you do this? Oh, can you do this? And you have to really keep your blinkers on because you can spend months of wasted time chasing your tail i'm creating and trying to tailor yeah. it to everyone but if you back your value proposition enough you just need to try and stay so when we were dealing with those stakeholders and onboarding coffee shops that we could drive footfall towards we all we cared about was like okay i want as simple an integration as possible it's not perfect because we the validity of pressing the button and it was it took it took a few days to get people in retailers retailers to understand it but it was far easier than yeah, any other true. people. And I remember I've explained that to a few people and they just go, fuck, that's so simple. Yeah. They're like, well, why would you need it any more yeah. complicated? Yeah. Because we're not earning any money on that, those redemptions. That's just a way for our users to be rewarded in a very simple way. And I'll go back to the reason why we actually have physical uh, um, physical stores. And that's because if you think of the surveying environment, and I know we'll get onto the client side now yeah. after this, but if you ask anyone, why have you not done a survey, entered into a competition for a Trinity roll ticket, get a $10 Amazon voucher, you spend 15 minutes on your laptop just bashing through questions
1: with really oh, low quality. I've done surveys. They're, they're an absolutely notorious black hole because like they take way longer to f- actually fill out. They're incredibly tedious, incredibly long. Um, you end up getting to the point, and we'll get onto this because I want to ask you about it. Um, but you just get to the point where you you don't even answer correctly because you're just like, I just want the reward. And then the reward is like 0.001 cents because it's just yeah. it's not tangible at all. So obviously, like you have to make the... Like, have you had good feedback about the rewards you're giving? Like, are people mm-hmm. taking them up? Are they happy with them?
0: Oh, so again, and the, the thought process behind this was... Again, this is just like the amount of research I did into this in terms of the psychology, like people and understanding what gets people to do things and a really clear value of our app. Like no one's going to download an app if there's not a really, really clear value. And what we designed was this idea of like the 10 minute transaction. So from the minute a survey is pushed to the time that hits the person's phone to then to do the survey, to get the reward and to claim the reward, we try to keep under 10 minutes. Okay. The whole process. And that's like from walking through Trinity, getting the notification, to doing the survey. To having the coffee in your hand. To having like, the yeah. coffee and drinking that coffee. And the motivation behind that was based on a few things, but one of the easiest kind of examples to use is Starbucks. And this is the idea of like, listen to people who are smarter than you. Starbucks had put millions into revamping their loyalty program. And they realized that people preferred, psychologically preferred smaller rewards more frequently. So we know that the attention span of our panel is an average about four minutes and 20 seconds. So if we want to get the maximum amount of return on the value, we need to know that after four minutes and 20 seconds, that person needs a reward, which they can claim in a very near vicinity. Now, some people will save up and like, buy the delivery vouchers on our app, or you know, if it doesn't suit them to get a coffee, or maybe they've already had a coffee in their day, but we need the option to be there for someone to claim it now. To cash it out right now. Because yeah. that's all about engagement, and then they come back for more. And effectively, our whole core transaction's been completed in a matter of 10 minutes, and they know what the app's about. Same. You know, it's not like I'm going to download it. I don't know. Even like with like Uber, until you get that, I just can't believe I just compared it. I use I like my brother's going to laugh at me so much because whenever <laughs> someone will slag me and we talk about oh yeah. doing tribe events, we always have this joke that like oh it's like the Uber for mental health and like describing your app as describing your our company is like the Uber of something or the something of something just it's like the worst thing you could do so anyway i'm annoyed that i just described it related to Uber, <laughs> but until you order the taxi get in the taxi and get to your destination you haven't completed the course transaction so we wanted people to get there as quick as possible yeah of course was kind of the idea especially
1: when you're asking for someone to give away their time to answer questions for something 100%. else and exactly. like it, it is all about time um so from the brand side because yeah. that is like the whole other section and it's not only just the brands giving you information but it's also to do with the dashboard and how they submit them and the analytics and everything Mm -hmm. but um speaking to you a few weeks ago and we touched on a bit a a second ago it seems like the market research space in ireland but also globally has been pretty stagnant and like what do you think the biggest benefit to brands that you're providing versus traditional market research and how it was done
0: yeah and again i'll be i'll start off with saying as and even you'll say this in your intro and a lot of these things is like by no means an expert, this is purely my opinion on the industry and what I've learned from meeting agencies and brands and all these sort of things, but how I've seen the market research industry and what I've learned from it, from speaking to every stakeholder within it, is that it's a very unsexy industry and it's an industry that has been struggling to innovate over the last 100 years and where innovation is being seen is a lot on the big data side, on the machine learning and algorithm side and very little on the people side. Uh, there's a reason behind that is because it's people is not scalable and tech can be licensed and scaled quite quickly. Yeah. And the reason I'm giving that kind of context is to understand why we entered the space we did. Um, in market research, if I was to take you through the whole journey of a brand, and I yeah. like to do this because it, it explains in really simple terms where the problem is. Yeah. And how, this is something that I realized after meeting with a lot of people, but there's two problems and I'll describe it, so the, for the small brands, they just don't carry out market research yet. It's incredibly expensive, it's inaccessible, they don't think it's worth it and that's the really critical problem. Not over 90% of Irish products that are launched into the market are withdrawn within their first year. It's between 80 and 95% globally. Failure of products and services is huge, Yeah. startup failure is like 95% if not more. And people create solutions, they don't solve problems. And one of the key things that we thought that was is because it was really hard to talk to customers. If you've ever had a question in an accelerator program or I wonder what people think of this, it's really hard to get people to do it without just asking your friend. And that was the kind of the context. So when I was like, oh, I wonder how the big brands who do this, like how do they carry it out? You know, if the small brands aren't doing it, how are the Coca-Colas of this world doing it? And when I delved into that, what I realized was that the journey that they went on was so time consuming and incredibly expensive, but it was so necessary because they needed it for any brand, a product they were gonna launch or any campaign they were carrying out. But how it would work, would the brand will outsource this if they don't have their own insight team, and even if they do, they will outsource this to a insight company. That insight company will often then go to a research agency. That research agency will then contact someone who owns a panel, and then that panel owner will license access to the minions, that will give the data. The panel owner being kind of like... Uh, someone it could be, it, it's not even, they, they could be a research agency themselves, it could be someone with access to an email list, it could be yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it could be Audiences, someone, audiences, audiences yeah. someone who owns the audience. Yeah. So if you look at that, and the thing about agencies is they're really strict on their margins. You know, if it's a 10%, 15%, they don't budge. So if you look at Coca-Cola, it doesn't matter what their budget is because, and again, I don't think Coca-Cola are gonna come hunting after a 22 year old, there's nothing to do with them. but. It could be any brand that yeah. is a, a large turnover. Say their campaign is 100 grand. Effectively, why that's 100 grand, if you actually start from a bottom-up approach, is because these people need to be paid. The, the panel, sorry, oh, I'm yeah. using my hand, which people can't see. <laughs> the, the people at the very, for me. Yeah. The, people, the people at the, <laughs> the very bottom of the chain, the people giving their feedback to the person who not owns them, but owns, yeah, owns yeah. that the, the access to yeah. them, they get paid. Then the person who owns the panel gets paid so much money. You'd be frightened at how much they get paid. That margin. That margin there. Then that person sells it to the research agency. They add their 20%. Then that research agency sells it to the insight company. Then that insight company uses all of their experience, really valuable experience, like generate insight reports, crunch the numbers, do the numbers, and then deliver the insight, the final package, to Coca-Cola who will then present it in a boardroom and make a strategic decision we're gonna go with non-alcoholic beer. It's gonna be called Guy boggin, and we're gonna sell it to twenty-one to twenty-five-year-old males yeah. in these markets. That's the process. So now it becomes really understandable how that costs a hundred grand, and it becomes even more understandable. Do you know how
1: many people like what's the cost it is per person? Oh, so if yeah, so if like let's say this per hundred grand. Let's say yeah, how many responses do they get? A company
0: that I got. I learned insight from yeah. the cost per person, and again, it's hard because you have to add it's very project harsh. management no, fees, the project could be anywhere for well. a targeted criteria of say 21 to 25 year old males. You could be charging anywhere between 14 and 20 euro per person, per response. Per response that you get. And if you can imagine that you got one cent for filling out that survey, you can just imagine why no one does surveys. Yeah. So again, we've learned a lot more since then, but our hypothesis was that like, like any sort of direct consumer product, wipe all the middle people out and this was very early stage we realized you can't just do this but wipe all the middle people out
1: and it should just go brand bounce person and what will and even if the margins are high for either you or them like it's still it's not being doubled every time yeah like it -hmm. was it's not it's it's ruling out like any sort of disruptive
0: tech and any sort of disruptive force in an industry does a lot of that it's like getting rid of the middlemen making it Cheaper, faster, better. Like, that's very obvious. Yeah, and you,
1: you, I remember you also saying that, like, that process takes so much time. 29 days is the average for that process. To get a response turned around.
0: Or, you, or like, a full, usually that's for, like, with, a full with campaign. With results back. So, like, a, with the, but with still the whole though, process.
1: If I'm, if I'm Coca-Cola and I'm launching a product, I have to wait a month just to hear about it. And if it's a yeah. failure, like, a very, it, you a have very, to send another one and that's another month. A very yeah. senior director of a brand,
0: a really amazing brand, says that their company spends, I think it was like 60 grand a year with a big research company overall. Yeah. And by the time the data gets to his desk, he doesn't trust it. Anything to do with 18 to 25 year olds. Like My opinions change. Opinions change. We're yeah. very fickle consumers. Things need to be fast. Decisions need to be
1: made fast. Like... Especially for the world of social media and stuff.
0: So hard to think about products. This goes down to like anything. This is why I say we're not a market research company because we focus on giving an enabling tool. We want... The startup who wants to push it to 50 people to understand more about why someone wouldn't buy that product to the Coca-Cola Insight team launching a new non- non-alcoholic or non-caffeinated non-caffe- drink being able to get an A-B
1: test on an ad campaign. We want it to be yeah, really... So not just like do we do non-alcoholic or not which is a very long term macro decision but mm. you actually want the little like, snippets of insight we're run that are this ad, and should we yeah. run the one that's blue or the one that's it's red it's decision
0: making without guesswork in yeah. a very simple way yeah. think of the amount of guesswork that goes on from industry experts um, that would be made so much better with the backing of target consumers yeah. and at the moment that's really hard to get because one it takes really long it's really expensive so what ends up happening is that we'll sit around with Guy bargaining, and, and we say who should we get as our next podcast guest and we'll all sit around and we'll bash ideas we'll spend two hours of our time and we could be on 50, 60k plus salaries if not more yeah. and we'll waste a lot of our time and we'll come to a decision and three of us think one thing two of us think the other. And that's what decided it. And yeah. that's what decides it. But imagine if you still have that, but you do it over 20 minutes, you come out with A, B, or C, option A, B, or C, push it to your target audience, 80% come out with option A, bang, let's go with that. Something as really simple as a use case as that I think is effectively what I was communicating to these brands and agencies. Um, and that's where we get on, I suppose, to the dashboard.
1: Yeah. So the Yeah, so after a brand runs, pushes... A question with you pushes a survey. As such, a survey is the wrong word. A bundle, um, but you then are trying to also take on the side of delivering that back to them within yeah. your platform. So what's
0: really important as well, and this is another nuance of the industry, is trust, reliability, and dependence are three of the like the biggest keys for success within market research. The reason why it's such an old industry, traditional industry, is because you're these brands are putting a lot of trust in research agencies and that's why they spend so much because if you're going to make a multi could be a multi-million dollar decision or it could be your last two grand in your bank account as a startup whatever research you're doing you're putting a lot of trust that that panel's real that these guys know what they're doing and that you have to back at it on a hunch and that's why it's easier for us you know people don't like change it's easier for us as experts to just back the people in a room and be like okay let's go with this and if we're wrong then at least it's on our heads it's kind of a tough for research agencies because you could spend 15 years just building up credibility. So when you look at the dashboard and you look, well, how do we onboard people? How do we make sure that the quality of responses is high? That's where our lovely, incredible software engineers come into play on the tech side. So one of the big things that we've realized is we need the quality to be like so high. We need the trust to be so high. And how we do that is in a few different ways. So when we say we're pushing out 1,000 responses for Guy, Boggin, Inc. on a new product. And we get those 1,000 responses in. We'll do a natural oversample of 5 to 10%. That's average across the industry. Um, and what we'll do is that goes into what is being built is effectively a machine learning algorithm okay. yeah. that screens all that data. What looking was, for outliers, looking for... Looking for a lot of things. So yeah. anywhere in that survey, so say it's 10 questions long, what we look for is the time that you spend in that survey so say so you can't rush it so say we know someone should be spending between three and three and a half minutes in that
1: if someone speeds 30 seconds that's one issue and
0: I'll talk about how we negate those issues after the second thing is contradictory responses I like Guy bargain, and then the second question I don't like Guy bargain. if they do that we know that it's an and if they exactly a we know it's completely contradictory open ended text responses gibberish profanity swears skipping, like, blank responses, gibberish, anything like that. Yeah. So they're the main things we look for. This is a huge problem across the entire surveying industry. And what we've effectively done is plucked the best practices across the world in and, and figured out how can we build that into our product. So what happens is we get those 1,000 responses for Guy Boggin, Inc. And that will what we did initially is we manually did everything. It takes a lot of time, but we're really glad we did it now because what Ronan has built and the lads is effectively has been annotating all this data so that the whole time yeah. the whole time so we've had maybe 20 30 40 thousand responses and what happens now is what we're building is when those a thousand responses come back it will flag it will highlight any potential issues you're always going to need just a small manual eye because the the machine learning isn't strong enough yet yeah
1: so but the fact that you still you've been building it since the start and you did it yourselves and you it's, you're training it for your system the whole time is that you're still looking at it with a manual eye now but maybe in yeah. three years time you won't be 100% yeah. and the reason why the manual eye is with important is because I'll give you the very, example yeah. and this is the
0: funny example I use if uh, someone was saying about uh, favourite cocktail if someone says a porn star martini if we just relied on machine learning that could not count that It'd response be flagged as a, s- swear, a, flagged ring, as a swear word yeah, or yeah. some profanity mm-hmm. or whatever it is whereas we know okay that's an actual cocktail we can let that go so there's some of the, the benefits of being like a startup and benefiting from doing this sort of manual stuff on the back of that, what we do is we offer a three-strike rule, which we've just brought in, which is effectively rewarding people for really good data and also punishing people people for anyone who does flies through surveys, being removed off the contradictory. app, contradictory. So everything is mobile phone authentication, which is uh, unless you have two SIM cards, you're not going to get into it. And even with that, I think Rowan's working on something that will stop two people coming onto the app. So if, if you're Guy bogging, yeah. you're only allowed one account, and that's yeah. because your mobile phone verified through a text message. So anyway, when you get on that, if you fly through a survey, give a contradictory response, whatever it is, we'll give you one strike and we'll say, hey, guy, we're not going to be able to count your response today. You can keep your reward, but please try harder next time. Mm -hmm. We'll issue a push notification. If you do it a second time, hey, guy, like, sorry, you know, we have to remove your reward this time. One more strike, we're going to have to remove you from the panel. Like we need good data in order to keep our relationships. Third strike, we remove you from the panel. The good thing on the back of that is, and it's another reason why we drive our engagement up, is say you type a paragraph response to one of the open-ended text responses. Hey, guy, cracking feedback this week. Red Bull loved your feedback. Here's an extra 100 points. Here's an extra cup of coffee. Yeah. your so it your goes the other way to too. Us. It goes both ways. Yeah. And then if you look at, again, this is just a psychology thing and me understanding why people respond the way they do. Let's look at Instagram polls. I would say 90% of the time I'm voting in Instagram polls to see how everyone else voted. Pretty, people love seeing they love to know how yeah. do people vote yeah, yeah, yeah. where's my opinion going so the power of issuing someone a push notification to say Red Bull loved your feedback you're going oh yeah, Jesus that, like, that actually that yeah, my yeah. feedback went somewhere when we started carrying out feedback on why you don't do surveys yes it was the bad rewards yes it was the desktop yes it was the too long and the design and thing the other thing was I don't think it's going anywhere the yeah. same reason why we could carry out a thousand response feedback bundle Give it to a brand and they go, geez, that's a good response, but I'm not going to do anything with it. That almost that like that really annoys not only us but like the user as well because you're like, oh, I thought I gave some really good ideas there and they're not acting and it on it. it'd be cool to,
1: to give your opinion on something and then actually see that ad online and be, like, oh, I actually helped pick that. One hundred percent.
0: Imagine so A/B testing like this yeah. is really good in the creative spaces. Should I go green or blue? you know or whatever it is if it's an influencer campaign you know and it's like oh should i go for this photo or this photo it can be stuff as simple as that and it's like oh class i actually i made a difference on that so that's how we would do that sort of quality screening. And then what we're doing is we're automating a lot of that and then also on the insight reports. So effectively, all the responses come back in real time. So on the dashboard, say you're again, Red Bull, you push out a campaign on a new product, you'll see all the results come back and it will be just like instant graphs, designs, um, notable responses, that yeah. sort of thing.
1: And it's a really like quick, easy way to get and to you, actual And you, you're building a dashboard where they log in and they can push ads themselves whenever they want or is it kind of, they send an ad off and you have to approve it and you publish it when it's ready. It's going to be a mix and it's going to be yeah. a, slow pro-
0: a slow enough process in terms of we'll start with, we're always going to have a consultancy piece to it because yeah. brands will want us to do that like from the survey design to the length to what questions we're going to ask to what cohort we should be pushing it to for us doing the insight reports. Like we've got a lot of like expertise on it now, whereas an insight company or an agency We'll just want to use us to capture the insight, and they'll look after the like reports and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, if someone comes on, it is effectively we want it to be a democratized self-service platform. But when you're creating the survey, what the guys are building is suggested edits. We'll do a review and we'll suggest how to phrase questions. How, how to phrase yeah. questions. We'll offer design help. We'll you know once they submit it, we'll do a review of it. We might suggest changes, or we'll give it the okay. And clear. how
1: how. Uh... Do you have the ability, yes, I know you're planning on, but to target certain groups within your Audience and like, I know you have a group of eight thousand people. But what if the brand is like we don't actually want to pay for eight thousand; we want to pay for a thousand. How do you pick what a thousand that, that you want? That's the beauty of it. That yeah. is one hundred percent where we want to take this. That's biggest thing. It's like that's why people are advertising on Facebook now is because you can that you can be so niche as to where you advertise. it's the not just like, targeting put, is throwing like,
0: mud on the wall and see yeah. where it sticks. Yeah. The Facebook targeting is like best practices for how a client wants it. And um, for us, it's so important. Like our whole thing was that. Okay, instead of pushing a survey to 10,000 random people on an email list, I think it's far more valuable to get 1,000 really specific consumers. So say, Heineken are launching a new non-alcoholic beer. They're probably, say it's a lager, so they're probably going to want to push it to, and I hope I'm being presumptuous here, to, you know, 25 to 35-year-old males who are in a certain income bracket, who live in a certain area, mm-hmm. um, are a certain uh, social class, and you know have certain you know hobbies and interests the exact target the exact person so they're not spending per they're not getting ten thousand completes and only 500 of them are actually relevant and then they get lost in this stream of data that's completely irrelevant and you know what ends up happening is same thing that i was discussing earlier it gets thrown in a bin it doesn't get used so what we really want it to be is high quality highly targeted really contextual data that is so relevant to your brand. And on the flip side of that, we're always thinking again, as a platform, we need to think about the both. I don't wanna be giving my feedback to a brand that I never use. So the good thing about that is like, if I have the app and I have Bounce, I'm getting hit with bundles from brands that I align with. So when you
1: sign up, how how much data do you require people to give and how do you incentivize to give more? So like, I presume it's name, email, age, whatever. But how do you know that I'm a Heineken drinker you know that kind of way?
0: Yeah, so again, we do it very slowly, is the yeah. answer. Um, our whole thing, and I think a reason people liked us, was that we were ridiculously transparent in what we were doing. Yeah. In our profile section, we're working on validating things. So if you say, you know, if, I, if one of us says we're a student, there's things that you can do, like Revolut for validating ID, which is like your address, your age, uh, you know, validating certain parts of it. What we want it to be is that people are allowed to have as much targeting criteria in their profile section as they want. We don't like hold data on anyone that they don't want there. Yeah. Or if you you know, we have in our privacy policy that like if you answer a certain way in a survey that we're able to target based on those answers. But in terms of the client side, we only sell access to those data to that data. So no one's ever gonna know my name or who I am. Yeah of course. It's just more you in terms of people f- targeting for a future survey and that sort of thing in our profile section we'll incentivize people to fill it out, we'll say, look, we can give you more surveys, we can pay you more, we can reward you more, the more data you give. And ultimately for us is like trying to keep that as transparent as possible. So like you can literally see in your profile section, oh, they know. I love rugby and Heineken or whatever it is yeah. God what a fucking stereotype it's like my posh same Dublin accent I love rugby and Heineken oh, for um, but like that sort of thing yeah. is that like they, it's really transparent and that people can remove that whenever they want they can there's, it's really easy to it's contact okay. us take it away. and we're going to try and keep that as strong as we can, as, as long as we can um, on the user side. We get pressure to like, oh, we want to like learn more and we want to scrape more data and that sort of thing. And we, we've we had to say no to companies that we don't want to work with on that um, because we think it's really important in the age where like even advertising is becoming less powerful on social media because there's just so much of it and everything seems so targeted and weirded out. What we want it to
1: be is really like authentic brand and, like, consumer relationships. You, but you know we're targeting you because yeah, you told it, us. And, it like, in, a, in a really nice way, it's like, We'll give you a bigger reward because this is the exact yeah. area that you know a bit about. Or that yeah, it's... because Heineken won your feedback because they actually care about your opinion. Yeah. And it's not
0: like Heineken are just like, they're just like buying our data off us. It's very like direct brand consumer is what we want it to be. Yeah. It's kind of ideological and we're doing our best to kind of preserve it. But I think it's important.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And just lastly, I suppose, as a topic, uh, two things. It's just really quickly like the company... And the bounce journey. What has been the biggest highs and lows of that so far?
0: One of the. It's a good question. Um, it's constant. Like, and I, again, I hate saying saying vague. It's constant highs and lows. At the moment, I'm in a really tough period. Um, being fully honest, and then back in December, when mine uh, Brian and I's relationship was quite strained because, it became. It started affecting me and Brian's personal relationship, which was really hard. And that was because it was doubt. Like doubt is always gonna be one of the biggest things in anything, yeah. like what you're doing with anything, and I'm sure you'll feel this as well, it's like the idea of doubt, like why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, I'm not good enough. Imposter syndrome, everyone yeah. talks about this quite a lot. At the moment, it's really tough because people always ask me like, do, would you encourage someone to set up a company in university? And I'll always say yes, 100%, it's such a good thing to do. And now I'm kind of at a really interesting point where okay, I I missed one of my college summers to work on this, which was incredible, I don't regret it at all, it was amazing, and now we're gonna finish college, and everyone's gonna be going off doing their grad visas, everyone's gonna be going to jobs, paying yourself. I've been working on this for 14 months, I've never paid myself, Mm -hmm. obviously, it's a startup that I'm working on, but you kind of have a free swing when you're in college. When you're in university, it's like, oh, he's doing college and he's doing a startup. Oh, that's, that's class. When I finish college, I'm just going to be doing a startup. And there's more pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like we're currently raising our, our, our funding round. We're taking money off investors. There's external expectations. There's, I'm quite a perfectionist. So I place, place a lot of pressure on myself. I'm incredibly lucky with the team I have around me a lot of the things with being an entrepreneur or whatever it is, I, oh God, I hate calling myself an entrepreneur. I'm not. You are. I, there. I, I, you are. I, I, but the, I know, the things I know, I know. around that I is know. team. It can a lot of the time be quite a lonely journey yeah. and the importance of partnering up with people, having Brian, having Ronan, having Josh, having Brandon, having a team around you that if I'm having a bad day, it's very rare that the four others are going to be having a bad day and they're constantly building someone to keep everyone's spirits up. The toughest thing is the variability of moods. I could come out of one meeting and I think I'm gonna be like mark cummins in the next two years and you come out of the next meeting and you're feeling like shit you're like this is a crap idea you get laughed out of the room by an investor or you know one of the lads says jesus you're doing that bounce thing are you you're doing that app thing like when are you going to get like the idea of getting a real job or the funniest question this year that me and brian get is what are you doing after college and i'm like (laughs) and i'm like
1: you know that thing I've been doing for the last like, fourteen months. I'm gonna keep doing. <laughs> I'm that, I'm gonna by keep the way. doing that. Like, but yeah. do you do you think? Are you like when you're doing it for fourteen months and you're in college and it's like there's a lot less pressure and like the, probably most of you're still living at home and that kind of thing. So yeah. you aren't under as much pressure as other no, startups have been not at all. in a great way because it allows. So when you're now looking as it's growing and you're looking for investment, are you? more lean towards like debt capital because you don't want to give away the equity yet or are you like we know we need people no, on board equity capital yeah um when
0: we're raising money two things that i've learned i'm sorry two things or a few things that i've learned one is never be afraid to talk about your idea your idea is never going to be that good that someone's going to steal it
1: like yeah. or and like you're already on the way 100 well. yeah. percent. like it's like if
0: already like if already was so good that someone decided they were gonna do it, and then executed like so much faster and just did it so much better. I'd be like, geez, fair play. And I'd kind of be like, whoa, that was actually a good idea. Yeah. I'm gonna have another practice. So always talk about your idea, always try and learn about your idea in that sense. And then in terms of, God, I kind of blanked on what your question was.
1: It was just more equity in terms of no, like, yeah. do you want, like, because it's the five of you, and then you're gonna go into this full time, like how much? My, I, 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 I'm not doing, yeah. like this is the thing, equity, people get so hung up on equity. We've
0: like a fairly even split across the company yeah. on ownership. Uh, that's for a few reasons. And then, like, people get hung up on equity. If it's good, I would much prefer to own 1% of a billion dollar company yeah, than 100% of nothing. And that's one of the things that I guess says to everyone. And I'm never, not saying that this is ever going to be a $1 billion dollar company. And you have to embrace that this could fail tomorrow. Like, I'm very aware that, like, and
1: you have to have that attitude. Of I one. suppose you, you own 100% of nothing. You can, exactly, like, I don't anything. Like, 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 yeah. It's like you own 100% it's of not nothing. not ending yet. And giving away that percentage to make it bigger doesn't yeah. actually. Like you don't actually lose, you just keep gaming. Yeah, and yeah. by taking on equity investors,
0: they get they get skin in the game. They're probably a hell of a lot more experienced than you. Especially when contacts. you're young. Yeah. We're so young. It's our first time raising. We're taking on financial advisors, tech advisors. And you're constantly leveraging that. The mm-hmm. only the best thing that we have as a team of five is just like, oh yeah, work ethic and passion. It's like that's what a lot of people will just invest in very early. You know, you go on a whim, 99 times out of 100, these things fail. So it's like, why do you think you can succeed and it's like okay well with the right advice the right strategy the right funding and the right team I think we can do this and you almost have to have the idea that okay well this can fail tomorrow and that's okay because of this reason and if it doesn't I'm going to as long as you know that you've put as much as you can into it that's fine and you know like when i was talking about like leaving college is going to be a next like a really hard point like that is hard when you're like okay i'm actually out here now the three guys have been out of college now Ronan's been out of college since last may and Josh and Brandon have finished in, in yeah. early december so they're now in that and they seem to be getting on fine so that's going to be the next step in terms of highs and lows it's i'm really lucky in terms of the team but constantly trying to just rem- remind yourself of why you're doing it perspective i have no family <laughs> I've no act like I've no kids. I'm yeah. not married. Yeah. I don't live to exactly yeah. I like very like an amazing position to just have a crack at this, and you know, don't get like jealous about different mm-hmm. things or salaries or you know, I come into work and I do what I love every day, and that's so cliche, but I really do love it and the challenge of it. Like Brian always has the funny thing that like Brian's girlfriend would always say to him like, if he's really, he's really stressed about things, that it's like Brian, if you dropped any of these you would pick up something
1: ridiculous again tomorrow because like that's what the who going. are
0: that's who we are and it's yeah. like
1: again that might change we're still so young like that could change do you think in an era where the cost of entry into business is much lower so it, like it just is in terms of drop shipping and just in terms of starting off there's a surge of people becoming self-made and becoming entrepreneurs and taking on things What does it actually take? What kind of qualities must must someone have in the early days of business in this? Because I'm not going to say like the later days, because you're still in the early days. Yeah. What have you noticed already that you're like, wow, (laughs) um, wild ambition. Yeah. And I say
0: the reason wild because myself and Brian kind of balance it off in terms of rational versus wild in both the tribe and bound stuff. Um, a kind of like silly backing of the team. Uh, you have to back yourself so much like in and like not like an arrogant way at all because if you're arrogant, you'll get offended really quickly but in a backing of yourself that like, I know I can work this hard. Like one of the few things that we have and like one of the main things drivers is is like work ethic Um, and then perspective and kind of like attitude. Like attitude is everything. Ronan I'll talk about, I talk about this so much. Ronan has like been offered incredible salaries. He got the gold medal in computer science out of Trinity. He talks about how he wants to teach and like, He's like, oh, I can't wait to do this. And if this sells off, it means I can like, just like do charity work and do teaching and stuff. His attitude is amazing. He's mm-hmm. doing it for the right reasons. He's doing it because he loves building tech and he wants to build something that is, is his own. He wants to learn about entrepreneurship. Yeah. He's proud of it. He's coming into the office to do it for those reasons. So like attitude, ambition, and work ethic. Like there are three things that you just ha- like, are just complete like core competencies of if you're going to do anything. Um, but you learn a lot along the way, like any sort of the actual like peripheral skills will come just yeah. from like, as I said, like, do you think I started 14 months ago knowing a lot about market research? I could, could have been doing chairs yeah. and you just have to become obsessed with that or videography or whatever it is. Yeah. You just become, so those peripheral skills come in. I think it's more the intrinsic stuff, you know, like what keeps you going when you get not, uh, like knocked down in a meeting or someone tells you you're shy or your idea is crap or your best friend gets an 80K salary and they're traveling and, the doing a j1 what is going to keep you going and like and i would always say that's like ambition
1: work ethic, the yeah. kind of attitude like there are three things was it weird like setting up a company and the actual process of it and how many other skills did you find yourself having to learn i know you said oh brian basically told himself accountancy and probably different people have taken on different ones but yeah. just in in the process of registration having employees contracts shareholders certain tax and legal obligations like you're only there's five of you and you're 22 and then like yeah. where it's annoying how does that just become a thing
0: it's really annoying like they're they're hamstrings
1: yeah. on, on any they hamstrings
0: on creativity but there's stuff you have to get done in terms of learning it you just get done like you talk about anyone who sets up a company saying the first two things you need to get is an accountant and a lawyer Definitely. yeah just like that yeah. it like, like there's stuff you don't want to deal with and similar as we were talking about before with like when you have your own company, you can spend a lot of your time entering competitions, going to fairs, going to events, going to accelerators, and we did a lot of that. Uh, similarly, you can spend a lot of your time doing forms, doing accountancy documentation, doing legal documentation. I would always swear to do minimize that as much as focus you can on the because you can so easily get distracted, focus on your product, bring it back to your core transaction. We've outsourced you know, our accountancy, uh, they've been great any legal we help like there's usually a lot of people who will meet you and give legal advice for our GDP or we met the data protection officer in Trinity it was a free service again one of the benefits of being a student we picked his brain we learned as much as we could and then we built it and um, so in terms of the skills you learn what I would say is like you get a very decent knowledge of a lot of things and um, what you need to try and focus on is becoming the master in what you do within the company so like even though brian has like taught himself accounting and he's become really good at that sort of stuff brian's role will always you know he still sticks to his main role within the company like whether it's like organizing strategy you know client care that sort of stuff yeah. whatever he's doing and all the peripheral skills that you learn are just benefits and they'll usually benefit in like meetings and that sort of thing because you have a generic understanding like i've been trying to understand the tech for so long now. It's I just don't like me and Brian really do try because even just like when they're then coming to you with a problem, you have an understanding of the text. You're
1: not going to fix their line of code, but you know what's why they're doing it. The reason why and like, should we
0: go with A or B? And similarly, Ronan has come to almost every meeting with me because having a different way of thinking, having a diversity of thought, having a diversity of background, those skills all coming together is what really makes a team and like what makes it click. And I'll always say one of the luckiest things. Like I don't know how we found the five of us and how we've all come together. It's completely ridiculous. So lucky, um and it's the funnest thing doing it with other people yeah. and like going through highs and lows, that sort of thing. It's just amazing. Do you think
1: there is? Because I know you've you, you so you started as a student. You started with Trinity, and I know you were involved at Tangent and hmm. the launch box yeah. process in Trinity. Which is friend who doesn't know there's like funding and support yeah it's a 12-week accelerator
0: where you get 10 grand in funding and office space in town and they do like mentorship and they
1: do like workshops in legal and finances and they give you get talks do do you think my question is do you think there is a lot of support for students with business initiative or is that just there needs to be more or was that like did that really help or did that kind of just put you in a place where we're like okay we like we can start a company but it didn't actually have much relevance now or what do you are think are you talking about did the supports help yeah oh yeah oh yeah. god yeah
0: the sports are incredible like god trinity were amazing mm-hmm. uh tracy killian ken finnegan all these people in trinity were absolutely incredible for us and um, just the support and again they had so much passion to help out in terms of is there a lot available to students it depends students in third level it's becoming better Trinity's definitely amazing for entrepreneurship and encouraging it. I know UCD has gotten really good with Nova, DCU is an amazing startup society and the guy who's running it this year has been great. It's getting there. But like, I always talk about when I was in transition year in school and we had a talk from someone every week, there was not a single person who came in and go set up your own company or like have a go at yourself. Yeah. I think that's something that needs to change to get to people, yeah. it to be like a potential route. Like the idea that you would like drop, like cause we considered dropping out of college. The, the idea that you would drop out of college and pursue a company like, like that's just like that's taboo it's like oh like i know you dropped out as well but like to pursue that is never it's still an issue because it's not encouraged i'm not 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 saying anyone should drop out of college but in general rewarding kind of creativity entrepreneurship that sort of thing still has a long way to go and then even on an investment side i know a lot of i would obviously be in this space and i've met a lot of people who run the angel network and the enterprise ireland and a lot of dublin bic here which is the innovation center there's still a long way to go in terms of funding and then in terms of supports. People don't know about a lot of the sports supports, but it's growing. Like Tangent has been great. They're in the business school in Trinity now. Like You yeah. can't miss them. They're on the first floor. The events are there. Joe is running like weekly newsletters and getting more and more people involved. The only way you're going to get more people setting up their companies is when you, you show it as an avenue. And you talked about the low barriers to entry. One of the best things is like people like Gary Fox, yourself doing podcasts. Um, James McCormick doing the modern day entrepreneur. Like dudes, creating awareness, guys. creating awareness, and the more people that become accustomed to it, they'll realize, oh, maybe I'll give that a go. Yeah. If I lose my job and I hate my job, yeah, maybe right. I'll try that. Or maybe I'm a student and I, I'm kind of losing the will to do anything because college is only eight hours a week, and I'm not really. I've done enough drinking, and I need to try something
1: else. Is there one thing that you wish you had a few years ago in the support system?
0: I started it earlier. Yeah, all it was
1: started earlier. And uh, is that just like I, someone to kick you in the back and be like, "Yeah, go for even, it." Actually,
0: I don't even know what it was because I like, kick you in the back. Like I had all my fun in college. Like people might think that, "Oh, like Jesus, you and Brian must have no life." We did. Like I did my summer in Vancouver. I went out all the time. I had such amazing college friends. I did every Trinity ball, all this sort of yeah. stuff. The memory that I always have, and I, I said it um, in in about myself and Brian are up for the student of the year in Trinity this year. And I remember chatting to Brian about this and it's so funny I was slagging Brian because me and Brian almost deferred and then the two of us are going to be (laughs) a student here but again we got nominated and we're um, congratulations yeah it's completely my parents are chuffed (laughs) Uh, but I remember in the application I was asking Brian about it and he was like where do you think this started I remember going to a Michael O'Leary talk from run by the entrepreneurial society in second year of college in December freezing morning seven in the morning and I just went in and listened to him. And one of the most amazing things is obviously Michael Leary, incredible entrepreneur. Think of him what you want or whatever it is, but he was really good at his job and I was listening to him. And one of the things he said was like, for the love of God, do not waste your time in college. Do not waste your time in college. It is four years where you're surrounded with some of the smartest people that you will ever be surrounded with, with eight hours a week, which you go to probably three of, um, and you're gonna have this colossal amount of time with your own thoughts and you're maturing a lot and you're surrounded by people he was just basically saying pounce on it yeah. so when i sit here now two months left do i wish i had anything yeah i probably I wish i could have done a lot of things differently I'm, i presume but like at the end of the day looking back and i look at like the friends i've made and the with stuff with tribe and yeah how far we come with bands i don't think i would change anything because i feel like a lot of those experiences shaped what has happened like even like I tried to set up a startup society when I got rejected from the entrepreneurial society uh, I tried to apply as an ambassador and then I went to Bomb and I said fuck this I'm setting up a startup <laughs> society that failed after
1: a few weeks uh, I've tried to do loads of things but So that's cool because like I think people assume they're like ah oh, like we got to 30 we just started a company but like Bounce wasn't your first venture no like, there's Brian, like, Brian had a company called been a Peachy thing you've been trying to do. <laughs> Brian had a company called Peachy which is another company you
0: tried to launch like yeah. this was not you're constantly being shaped by experiences so I'm, I wouldn't change anything per se and again maybe it sounds cliche like oh, I wouldn't change the past yeah. but I genuinely think it does shape you like experiencing failure experiencing lows experiencing really hard times and strains on relationships and stuff with family and whatever
1: it is it do, does it do helps. you think initiative is something that you developed in college or that you've always had because that you're the like also the co-founder of tribe charity which is a whole other aspect of volunteering and that has become a widely huge huge success but you've as you said you've been trying to start things you've always been involved in things you I think you're on the you're a founding member of the graduates network Mm. on the board of that like what like Uh, is that something you just developed or
0: my family would say it's a personality type thing and my sister is quite similar and I again anyone who would have heard any podcast we try. but I had my own mental health difficulties in the past so I was Brian and in school I was an avid sports player and I was I became obsessed with sport and then that got taken away from me when I had a really bad injury worked really hard to come back I had a lot of setbacks in school both mentally and physically and I think that shaped a bit of a personality of like taking control of the controllables that's always my thing with mental health is that if I'm ever having a bad day or whatever I take control of the controllables okay what can I control on this day and what that has probably built in me is like uh an initiative is probably the way you put it as well but just like an unswerving desire to do things and like take control of my days and my weeks and my years and not blame it on other things because i used to do so much that when i was in school i would blame it on my injuries and this is maybe why i have no friends or whatever it was that was going on and now i take a lot of the onus on myself and i'm saying like okay well you know, if I'm gonna raise money for charity, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna put it on myself, so that if I do fail, I know. Okay, well, I gave my best shot. So, in terms of initiative, I would say, yeah, I've always had aspirations, like academically, yeah. sporting. I suppose I, I always did, but that get, again, this is I'm sorry for going on like this, but the people you surround yourself with, oh my God, the difference that makes. People like Brian, people like Josh, people like Ronan, people like Danny outside of my, people like yourself and Deirdre now with Tribe, you surround yourself with people like that, it makes initiative easy. Because one idea gets backed up and like lit up, like a kick kick up the arse. And then people like buzz off each other and things happen. I talked about the loneliness of doing things yourself. I do nothing on my own. Absolutely nothing I've done has been self, you know, self-made or any of that stuff. It's all been because of other people so that's where initiative comes with it it's made a hell of a lot easier if you I go to you and I have an idea for tribe and you go bang let's do it and then the next day you come to me with another idea and you're like oh these are
1: the people I want to be with you know yeah have you like do you ever struggle to balance the whole work college life just because I know that like you've had your own struggles like everyone has but you've been very good at talking about them but you're still in full-time education you've you're running a very big startup that's taking a lot of your time. You are also you have obligations of business and final year. You tribe charities becoming bigger and bigger. It's like is there always just like ah crazy 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 or have you got a system to balance everything? Uh, yes, to both of them. It's yeah.
0: always crazy. It's it's a, it's a incredibly overwhelming. Um, I've gotten really used to it. I again as I said, it's probably been like fourteen months of me doing this now. Um. I'm anyone. I'm really good at organizing my time. It's one of my like, things I'm good at is if I have a thousand things to do, I break them down, I compartmentalize them, and I break them into hours of my day. I'm very good at kind of switching gears, whether it's college into tribe, into bounce or whatever it is. Um, mentally, as I said, I've been on a huge journey with how I've improved my mental health. I look after my mental health quite a lot. Um, knowing what works for you. In terms of managing everything, time management and planning. I cannot stress enough how like again people again this is not for everyone every minute of my day is planned yeah. like when i I'm, I'm not messing like from even seeing friends like to the to that sort of point because managing relationships is just as important as like you know managing your college work and that sort of thing like I have a girlfriend, I have amazing friends a family that I try and see so when I look at my day and again people like James McCormick and uh, Gary Fox and a lot of people will talk about this is immense planning so you only will get things done if you set goals and then break them down into much more achievable goals. So if you said to me, you know, if I mapped out my week and I just gave you like all the things I needed to get done that week, I would be freaking out. Like I'd be, no way I can do that. But if you break it down into the half hour time slot starting at half seven on Monday morning and finishing at you know, 4 p.m. on Saturday, you're like, okay, that's actually, that's not that bad. Like it, yeah. work smart, not hard. Uh, in in a lot of ways, like college I've gotten really good at, you know I have amazing groups, a lot of the stuff is group projects, Bounce, there's five of us in it, Tribe, there's now four of us in it Um, Being really good at like delegating tasks knowing when you can't do enough and like saying, look Brian I can't do this or Guy, I actually, I'm just too busy this week Um, and just being really good at time management, it's overwhelming yeah but I've kind of have blinkers on now uh, with, I have two and a half months left of college and once I finish college I'm I'm thinking like, I'm gonna have all the time in the world like what this, am i yeah. going to do almost like you're like and that's going to be a really liberating experience when i said you know what i was going to defer a college i've stuck it out now yeah. i've like tribe events hasn't taken that much of a hit um, and now i can play on well i can be proud of myself that i like put myself in the trenches for that like short amount of time
1: and just finally just because we've talked so much about entrepreneurship and like you having such a busy schedule, and like if <laughs> I think some people who are in college, if they're like, oh, I'm not getting up at half seven on a Monday morning, and I'm not working till for Saturday. Oh, I didn't afternoon. do that. In the <laughs> three I know, years I so. know, I know. But <laughs> it's just like in life. I think there's a big promotion, particularly as businesses become more accessible, of this like grind and this hustle. And I think one thing that I've certainly learned from you in getting involved with the tribe is just like being really aware of yourself and when you need time for yourself, and like stepping back from work. And you always say like. Tribe is your, even though it's, even though it's a whole other thing. It's your fun thing, and it's like, it's when you get away from everything else. And Mm. do you? How often are you? Have you become more and more aware in the whole process about your mental health? 100 percent. Your mental health is a complete journey that you're going
0: to be on. Yeah. Um. You, you, like, you never really become a master of your own mental health. You know, like, similarly, I'm never going to be at peak fitness. You know, like that sort of way. And that's a clear. I think comparison people always make is physical and mental health. But if you think about that, like you know, it makes so much sense. And in terms of, you know, me managing it, um, I think I have gotten really good at it. No one's going to take time off, like like myself and Brian do it all the time. If I'm just like, you know, I, I just need three days or anything, whatever it is, or I can't do any work. That's always accepted. And similarly, you're surrounding yourself with that sort of
1: people. people those who, sort of people who all understand they're that.
0: They're all on the same yeah. page. Like Deirdre talks about it as well with Tribe is like the minute you open up about that sort of stuff, it becomes so much easier to be vulnerable and to be open to that sort of thing. Um, and it's just it's it's paramount in being successful in anything you do is Like, how the hell are people supposed to, you know, grind and hustle and all that sort of stuff if your mental health is not, uh, like, uh, being nurtured and being at its peak performance? Um, I'm not really one for that, like, grind, hustle mentality, you know, seven days a week thing. I think it's all about perspective. I work as hard as I can. um, I'm driven by the right things, and I try to be driven by the right things, uh, and I'm doing it for the right reasons. And... I think it is true what you put in you get out like and but that is usually because of the people you surround yourself with yeah. nothing I've
1: done has been by myself I think just people a lot in life particularly in business they it's the same like everything is talked about in hindsight everything you only get praised for dropping out of college in hindsight of starting Facebook 100% you only, like everything you only talk about the good days you only if you're an entrepreneur you only vlog the good days where you have a packed schedules. like I think people don't talk in business about mental health and about just like it's okay. To step back and like yeah. yes work seven days and work 24-7 for those seven days when you can and then when you can't don't
0: yeah but like yeah. but like, look, like this is the if if bounce fail tomorrow if Try Windle down yeah. like who really gives a fuck you know, a lot of my, if I have really good relationships and like, uh, my family you know, still love me and that sort of thing, like those things, you, if you have that perspective, it becomes really liberating because you pursue things without inhibition. Like i pursuing Tribe and have wild ideas for Tribe and Bounce without any inhibition because I've accepted, you know, like I'm doing my best. I'm working away hard at this, you know, and then it, it's paid off. Like I, it, it's, Bounce is doing well, like we hit our 50 grand goal with Tribe and this year is looking really promising. Um, and I think you know just having the right attitude is going to be everything
1: like. absolutely uh, hold on let me see um, Charlie thank you so so much for coming on the podcast uh, this has definitely been a long one but I think <laughs> this you... has <laughs> definitely has been really long <laughs> but i just so kept sorry. It, no I kept it going because I think you've said some really really good things you have a very bright future ahead of you I'm so excited for Bounce and everything you're involved in and I'm sure some young entrepreneurs have taken a lot of value from what you said where yeah. can people find you if they want to get in touch yeah, I would've... also what would you like people to get in touch with you about if they actually do want to absolutely anything i have
0: leveraged so many people for meetings i've never had a bad coffee in my life with someone i always will try and reach out to people and like even if i don't even know who i am but if i was in a position to help anyone i will always do it because i know the amount of people that have helped me um are the tribe instagram is tribe underscore charity and my personal one is charlie b underscore 128 i think might be (laughs) i don't know um Again, my email is charlie at bounceinsights.com. My TCD email is butlerch at tcd.ie. Reach out to me if you want. If you oh, really? manage to get this far, I'll buy you a coffee because that's pretty impressive. <laughs> um, no, anything I can yeah. help with on, in any lease of life, whether it's, I don't know what it could be, but I would be more than delighted to help. Um, and thank you so much for having me on and listening to me. And again, having people like you makes these things a hell of a lot easier. So Thank you so much, Charlie.
1: We'll leave it there. That has been the Come here To Me podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you all so much. If you're listening on Anchor, feel free to send in a voice message. I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at guyb.ie. You can also find me at Guy Boggin on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. And you can subscribe to the weekly email of interesting things at come here to me.ie or guyb.ie forward slash come here to me.